Hello, everyone. This is an addendum to episode 48. A listener of the podcast, Adriana Langston of Long Beach, California, sent in a comment, and she sent it in the form of a recording that she has consented to allow me to play for you. And I'm going to do that because she came up with a brilliant modern-day analogy to describe what is going on in the parable of the tyrant king and the unforgiving slave. In my analysis of it, I was focused on tying this parable into the theme that we find in chapter 18 of the criminal justice system as foundational to the structure of the society. And so I talked about what happens if no one resists it. That's the way I interpreted the parable. But there is also a strong economic component to the parable, which I alluded to but didn't focus on. And of course, all these things are interconnected. But Adriana came up with a really great modern-day example for the economic dimension of the passage. This example is one that is playing out here in the Los Angeles area and in many other parts of the world and gets into the topic of land and housing justice that I want to talk more about at some point. That's actually my day job. I work as an organizer in a local nonprofit that advocates for housing and land justice. So that's another reason that I'm glad she came up with this analogy. Before I play it, I should also mention that I'm going to be leading a class by Zoom for her church in Long Beach. You'll hear her mention that, and I'll give more specifics about that after the recording. So without any further delay, here is Adriana's brilliant insight. Hey, Kurt, uh, I just listened to the latest episode of Parody and Subversion. First of all, I want to tell you I'm so excited for you to be a guest teacher in the class for my church. I'm really excited about that. And I'm going to be encouraging a lot of people to join the Zoom. But I listened to the episode and I just have a couple of comments. Obviously, I'm not a biblical scholar like you, but based on your own analysis, I really believe there's a different way it could be looked at. And I'm going to use a parable of my own having to do with what's going on in California right now, which is a pending eviction crisis brought on by income inequality and by corporations buying up apartment buildings and and housing units and by COVID. Imagine that there was a uh, apartment manager who lived in a free unit with his or her family, and their job was to collect the rents from the other tenants. But the owner of the apartment complex was actually a corporation, a hedge fund, whatever. And the at the end of the quarter, the uh, hedge fund manager said to the manager, you are X number of dollars behind on rent paid into our account, and therefore you and your family are going to be evicted, and we're going to get an apartment manager in here who brings in our money on time. And the apartment manager says, please don't throw my family and I out into the street. I promise that I will um, get you all the rent that you are owed. And the hedge fund manager says, well, actually, we can write this quarter off as a tax write-off, that's fine, you can keep the apartment. What's in the apartment manager's mind is how close he and his family got to being thrown out in the street. So when the first of the month comes around and a tenant says, oh, can you give me a break? I'm, 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 uh, I'm only just getting back to work after COVID. The apartment manager says, no, I'm putting a three-day 
uh, pay or quit notice on your door today. And what's in the back of the apartment manager's mind? Man, if I mess up and don't get the money in on time this quarter, the apartment manager is not going to, for- the apartment owner is not going to forgive me. They're going to throw me and my family out on the street. So I really can't afford to give any of these people breaks any longer. Um, so then the uh, second quarter comes around. Or no, so then he starts evicting people. And then the tenants go to the press or it comes, you know, a reporter comes around doing a story about post-COVID convictions. And on the front page of the LA Times is a story, hedge fund uh, owns apartment buildings and is throwing people out into the street. And then the hedge fund manager calls and says, you're making us look bad. Our stock might be impacted. I'm throwing you out into the street and getting a, a man, another manager and then reports to the, the LA Times, oh, we didn't know this manager was doing this and we've replaced this manager with a different manager. So um, imagine that the manager, uh, the first time he was threatened, went to the tenants and said, listen, I'm about to be thrown out into the street. I have given you each of you tenants a break at some time during the time that you lived here. I Even if you can't pay all the rent, can you pay me something now so that I can give it to the hedge fund? So Because if I get thrown out into the street, the next manager is going to see me as an example and is not going to give you guys any breaks. And everybody borrows from family and friends or does whatever sells something and gives the manager what they can and the manager says to the hedge fund guy i don't have it all that what i what is back owed but i have this amount and the hedge fund manager sees that the manager is actually trying and doesn't threaten to throw him out to the street my point in the parable of jesus is if somebody is in jail or somebody is being tortured because they owe a debt of course they're not going to be able to pay the debt while they can't work. So that was, even in the ancient context, which I'm not claiming to be a historian, but it seems to me that the idea would be if you're captured by the state and you owe a debt, it's up to your family and community to come up with the money. But if you treated them like shit and weren't gracious with them, they would be like, fuck him, let him stay in jail and get tortured. But if you were a good or more gracious in your collection of money from them as a, as a tribute collector or whatever, they'd be like, you know what? If we let this guy rot in jail, the next guy that they put over us is going to be brutal. So let's help him out in order to save our own skins. And this to me would be more in uh, line with the way that the Jesus is always talking about the great society. Um, and this also kind of follows along with the, um, the dishonest uh, manager parable who gives everybody that owes his master a break right before his master's about to fire. So um, that's my interpretation that the, the everything you said, but the part about, I believe that if somebody was put in jail or tortured back in the day, it was to hold them hostage so that their community or family would come up with the money because obviously somebody in jail or being tortured is not going to be able to come up with the money. And if that person had been good to his community and the community might attempt to come up with the money and if he had been shitty to his community, they would let him rot. And so to me, this is a story about the, the new society and us all being in this together and having solidarity. 
and showing grace. So yeah, wasn't that brilliant? All the pieces are there. The hedge fund is the tyrant king. The manager is the high status slave. The tenants are the other slaves. The original forgiveness works for the hedge fund, but the manager has good reason not to extend forgiveness. The tenants have good reason to report what the manager has done. And then the hedge fund has motivation to kick out the manager for acting this way. The whole system is broken and unworkable unless people pull together in solidarity. Also, Adriana is right about what would happen if someone was thrown in jail or being tortured for an unpaid debt. Their family or extended community would have to come to their rescue. Despite all my emphasis on thinking about the cultural situation, I fell into the trap of interpreting that aspect of the parable from an assumption of individualism, a very white, middle-class American way of reading the text. But Adriana is right. There would be a community that could come to your rescue if you haven't alienated them. And then Adriana brilliantly connects this parable to the parable of the shrewd manager in Luke, where that manager reduces debts of his master's clients so that they will welcome him into their homes when he is let go by his employer. I love that parable in Luke, where Jesus uses as the exemplar someone who steals from the rich and gives to the poor to save his own hide, teaching us that solidarity with the poor and working class is where our hope lies. So Adriana's focus on community and solidarity is spot on. And I will be leading a class by Zoom at her church, the First Congregational Church of Long Beach, on August 3rd at 7 p.m. Pacific Time. That's August 3rd, 7 p.m. Pacific Time. You are welcome to join us. To get the Zoom info, just email office at firstchurchlb.org. That's office at firstchurchlb.org. And LB, of course, stands for Long Beach. One more thing I want to mention, I used air conditioning as the first analogy just because it's a good example of everyone looking out for their own interests and perpetuating a bad situation that affects everyone. The analogy was limited and I was using it mostly because I'm really anxious about the heat wave or heat waves that are inevitably coming this summer along with the fires. But interestingly, Time Magazine just posted an article entitled, AC Feels Great, But It's Terrible for the Planet, Here's How to Fix That. In it, the author makes the point that not only does air conditioning contribute to global warming due to the energy it consumes, if that energy is drawn from fossil fuels, and the heat exhaust to the outside, but also due to the hydrofluorocarbons that it uses as a coolant which replaced Freon, a chlorofluorocarbon, which was depleting the ozone layer. HFCs, hydrofluorocarbons, don't affect the ozone, but they are global warming gases that are far more potent than CO2. So that's three ways then that air conditioning is making things worse by drawing energy, usually from fossil fuels, by expelling heat to the outside, and then also by using and releasing into the atmosphere hydrofluorocarbons, 
which are a very potent global warming gas. The article goes on to suggest a way forward. The author writes, The troubled history of air conditioning suggests not that we chuck it entirely, but that we focus on public cooling, on public comfort, rather than individual cooling, on individual comfort, ensuring that the most vulnerable among the planet's human inhabitants can keep cool through better access to public cooling centers, shade-giving trees, safe green spaces, water infrastructure to cool, and smart design. This will not only enrich our cities overall, it will lower the temperature for everyone. It's far more efficient that way. That's the answer that the author gives. So the answer lies in thinking and acting more collectively than individually and looking out for the most vulnerable. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching in chapter 18. Also, I should mention that as I was recording and editing episode 48, I was simultaneously hearing and learning about the heat wave in Western Canada and the Northwestern U.S. One town, Lytton, British Columbia, recorded 121 degrees Fahrenheit last week. 121 degrees Fahrenheit in Canada. This is not the southwestern U.S. That's in Canada. The highest temperature ever recorded on Earth was only 134 degrees in Death Valley, California. 121 degrees is the record for Southern California, where I live. And we hit that last year, not here in Pasadena, but out in Thousand Oaks. But Lytton, British Columbia, last week recorded 121 degrees. That same town burnt down right after recording that temperature because the fires up there have already started. On Saturday, just a couple of days ago, newscasts were reporting over 150 fires in Western Canada and heat records are being smashed across the region. I'm not sure what else to say about that, but I just didn't want to leave that unnoticed and unremarked upon. Collective action to save our planet and ourselves isn't just a moral priority anymore. It isn't just a lofty idea. It's now a matter of survival for all of us. What else is there to be said? I'll leave it there. Thanks for listening. Until I can get out another episode, stay safe if you can, take care of each other, and let's work to build a new, sustainable, and just society of grace and mercy for everyone.